Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is January 6, 2024, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, happy New Year's to everybody. I think I'm still allowed to say that for a couple more days. I think you can still wish people a Happy New Year. So, uh, Happy New Year's to everybody that is tuning in uh, this week. Uh, I will give a Happy New Year's as well to my mom and dad, who will listen for about five minutes. So, this is in their uh, listening zone. So, I'm I'm guessing they will uh, pick up on this one. Um, beer of the night tonight. Yeah, it, it's a sad night. And uh, sorry, the camera. Something wasn't working right with the camera. So if you're watching along on YouTube, I'll just do a screen capture. Um, no camera going on. But the sad news, the beer of the night, looks like it's probably going to be Michelob Ultra. Uh, basically, I got a ton of beer for Christmas. I got um, a lot of six-packs, got 12 packs of stuff. And I, I, think the, um, I think the word was out that uh, we need to kind of finish off all these lingering beers that are in the fridge so you know when i do the little um low carb stuff every now and then i'll buy some Michelob ultra or you know one of those types of beers i never finish them all whatever i end up getting and then it just kind of gets pushed off to the side um so since i don't have the the one beer fridge um basically i think it's we got to start clearing this old stuff out so um there are probably a couple other things in there but i know i saw a couple at least three Michelob Ultras, and there's probably one, I don't know, Miller Light something. I have no idea what that what that one is. But I know if I uh, start out with, um, you know, a lingering IPA or something, and then I have to move to this, that's a disaster. So I figure we will uh, go through it, and we'll do the uh, Michelob Ultra for tonight. And maybe we'll get to something better if I have uh, less of these than I thought. Um but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Nelly is here and Nelly is snacking on a treat. Nelly, you have anything for the audience? Nelly's got nothing for you. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's been a uh, been a bit of a week. I, I thought I would maybe do this um, last week that we could get one in because there was so much stuff about Russell Wilson. Um, but then between New Year's and we had some car issues that were... More just a nuisance than anything else, but uh, it kind of took an entire week to get fixed. Um, so we've been uh, kind of fiddling around with the uh, the one car between the two of us, but at least we're uh, past that now. Um, you know, if you live in New Jersey, there's really not much in the way of public transportation options throughout much of New Jersey. So you, you pretty much are relegated to a car, and if you both work, well, pretty much you need two cars. So it's a, a little bit tricky to do with one, but we, we got by for a couple of days there with the, uh, you know, the one car and just uh, driving, you know, one drives one and everything else. But uh, yeah, a windshield wiper issue. <laughs> and that basically closed the car down for like a week. So uh, between all that running and everything, it was like, uh, I, I don't even have time to, uh, to jump on to do a podcast. Um, you know, in there, there was just too much travel time um, during the course of the week. So anyway, uh, I guess the first thing to do here is we'll do the Russell Wilson stuff, even though this is kind of old, I guess at this point, uh, I think the shock of Russell Wilson being benched is pretty much gone, but I, I didn't understand why people were so surprised that Wilson got benched. Um, 
you know, the way people were talking about it online, it was like this stunning, stunning thing. In my mind, it's like, I don't know why, why they didn't do it sooner. Now, maybe it's because they, they were winning football games and, you know, you, you can get into the reasons why they were winning or why they weren't winning. Um, but maybe, you know, that wasn't the time to, to make that kind of change, um, you know, especially with, uh, you know, within the, the team itself. Though I don't know how much they really care about that. You know, a lot of these guys in Denver probably are not going to be back next year. Um, you know, and I think in general, the whole locker room thing it can be a little bit overrated. I, I think I'll talk about that a little bit more. Uh, we talk about Justin Fields um, later on. But, uh, you know, they, they, they stuck with him there for a little while. I'm sure some of that, too, is you kind of go over the different scenarios um, that, that can exist with a player getting injured and what's the, what's the timeline on recovery from those injuries. And, you know, I, I think that probably played a little bit of a role, and I'll explain what that means in just a minute here. Um, you know, but this was something that I was talking about last... I think the first article I wrote about it was either last October or last November. And by last, I mean of 2022, not November of 2023, of 2022. It was either late October or early November of 2022. It was already, how do you get out of this contract? And at the time, you know, my thought was, there's really no way out of the contract, right? That That's, that's, a, that's a given. The contract was... Um, you know, just turned out to be a really bad one. And, you know, trade historically is going to go down as one of the worst trades of all time. But, um, you know, I thought it was, you bring in a quarterback to kind of compete with them. And if Wilson just plays kind of like average or below average, maybe you move on to a different, a different quarterback because you're trying to protect yourself financially and you're trying to kind of protect the future um, you know, of your organization and your salary cap health and everything else with, you know, playing him versus playing somebody else. And, you know, it took them a while, it seemed like, to get there. And they, they did bring in Jared Stidham. And uh, I don't know if that was really competition, but I, I guess maybe that was insurance that you're at least bringing in a guy who's got some NFL experience. And, you know, again, I, I think... I think ideally the way they probably would have wanted this to work out um, would have been that he was probably playing at a average level, um, which is kind of what he was, maybe a little tiny bit above average, but I'd say probably average overall. And I, I think it was frustrating. You know, the couple times that I would watch seemed like there was a, a frustrating aspect of it for both him and for the head coach, um, you know, not on the same page. Maybe not to the extent if you're an old Jets fan that remembers uh, Neil O'Donnell with Bill Parcells, um, but kind of that thing where the coach maybe doesn't really have a a real desire to have the quarterback there, um, you know, and just kind of tries to work around it. Um, but, you know, I, I think probably for Denver, they would have liked if the team would have been like 0-1 to start the season, then 1-1, then one and two, two and two, one and three, two and three, um, you know, and then maybe you get to three and four and you, you start saying, okay, time to move on, um, you know, or even four and three or four and four, you know, how, however you get to a certain point. But really what happened was they, they had the sluggish start and then I think things started to get a bit, uh, bit better. Um, 
let me see if we can just look up the Broncos schedule here. Let's go to Pro Football Reference. And let's see how this shook out. Yeah, you see, they started off terrible. 0-1, 0-2, 0-3. They get to 1-3. Then it's 1-4, 1-5. And then it was just a lot of wins. 2-5, and 3-5, 4-5, and 5-6-5. And it's hard to pull a plug after you've, you've rattled off that many wins in a row. Even if you want to say that the wins did come by kind of some fluky turnovers, defensive play, um, you know, w- whatever the case may be, um, you know, it becomes kind of hard. But, you know, going back to Wilson it's himself, uh, let's pull up his contract here. And I know we did a podcast on this earlier in the year where we really got into the weeds on um, the money and the way everything worked. Uh, at least I think it was a podcast. It wasn't a podcast. It might have been a standalone video. Um explaining it but basically the gist of this is that Wilson next year has 85 million dollars in dead money now that money's sunk cost that is that's absolutely lost to the Denver Broncos um, there's ways they can split that up whether it's going to split it 35 for next year and then the the remainder of it they take the following year that's a possibility uh, I don't know how this exactly works with the option that's in it um, the option, Options are treated a little bit weird. He has an option bonus that's due to him next year that's uh, worth $22 million, I think. Um, I don't know if exercising an option, if that's considered a renegotiation of a contract. I know for other rules in the collective bargaining agreement, it is, uh, which means you can't June 1 a player uh, because you're not allowed to do a renegotiation um until after the season. I'm sorry. Uh, you, yeah, you're not allowed to do a renegotiation after the season. You have to get it done uh, before the end of the regular season if you want to use a post-June 1 designation on a player. So I, I don't know if that option would preclude them from that. Um, if it doesn't, you know, it's $53 million next year, the balance the, the year after that. Okay. Those are all sunk costs. That's just a, a matter of how does it fall on the salary cap? You know, is it going to be something like 33 53 55 uh, 33 um, you know, and I, I know those numbers are wrong there. I was just going off the top of my head with some of the stuff there. I think it's 5332. Um, I think are kind of the two numbers that are floating around in my mind at least. Um, but the big the big thing is that in 2025, um, he has a 37 million dollar salary that at the moment is guaranteed for injury. and that's fine. You know you, you can if you're a player, you get hurt, you know let, let's say Russell Wilson gets hurt right now. Um, if he was a starting quarterback for the team, let's say he broke his leg, uh, he would certainly be healed by 2025, so the injury guarantee wouldn't matter. Um, the issue that was at play was that this 2025 $37 million salary, if you look at the notes on his page, um, in 2024, uh, on March 21st, um, and that, that date is probably wrong, it's fifth day of the league year, uh, I think I based this on the league year starting on the 17th. I think the league year starts 15th this year. Um, and I'll change those as the uh, offseason kind of goes on. But 2025 salary is guaranteed. So basically what that tells you is that if Wilson was to get hurt um, and not be healthy by that March you know, 20th time frame his 2025 salary would be guaranteed. So now you'd be on the hook for, 
you know, the 35 million cap charge in 2024, all right, um, then you'd be on the hook for 49.6 dead that exists already, plus another 37 million, um, you know, that would be salary that's now guaranteed. So you'd be looking at a three-year period of about, you know, I, I think it was like 124 million um, that you'd be spending on him. So, you know, that that's just way too much for a team, for an older quarterback who, even if you want to say he was average this year or even a little above average, he's not playing at a $50 million level, which is basically the value of his contract. Even if you take it as the effective value with the, the fact that they did get the two cheaper years in there, let's call it $40 million. He's not playing at that level either. Um, you know, he, he's playing at a much lower level uh, than that. And, you know, you're talking about a player who's 35 this year, going to be 36 in 2024, 37 in 2025. You're declining. You're not getting better. You're getting worse at this point. Um, you know, you, you might be able to string a couple of weeks together. It's probably going to be pretty hard to string a season together that really goes above um, what's been going on. So that's the reason that they're kind of protecting themselves by putting him on the bench. Um, you know, when you talk about the severity of injuries, and this is where you get into the timing of it, um, you know, basically, if you were to get the type of injury any at any point in the season that is like an Achilles, uh, an ACL, that kind of stuff, you know, if you're Denver, you know, you're screwed, right? Because at that point, that that money is going to kick in because the, the rehab on that, on those kind of injuries is basically a year. Um, you know, certainly it's it's going to take some time. As the season goes on and you get closer and closer, now you start to get into the area where minor injuries can come into play. Minor injuries in the NFL are much, much more common than the the real major catastrophic injuries that kick in those injury guarantees. And, you know, the, the injuries that can happen, sometimes you might not even think that it's that big. You know, it could be something like a, like a broken finger. Um, but a lot of times it's accumulation of stuff. And, you know, it's when you hear about, like, you know, he's playing through a bad shoulder. He's kind of playing through a bum knee. He's playing through some tendonitis in the elbow, you know, whatever it might be. And then next thing you know, in January or February, unbeknownst to any of the general public, um, the player goes and he gets some type of minor procedure done. You know, something will come out um, after the fact that, you know, he had a procedure to clean up his knee. All good. He'll be ready for, you know, for uh, OTAs in June. Well, if that happens and you get some type of surgery to clean up a lingering issue, clean up something that happened late in the year that you could play through, but, um, you know, deserves the, 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 you know, to get operated on at some point, uh, that would protect him because the, the physical therapy aspect of it, the rehab that comes from those surgeries, um, you know, is going to carry you past that March deadline. So the later you get in the year, the more that you have to worry about kind of minor stuff actually kicking those injury guarantees in. Um, this is actually what happened with a different scenario, but that's kind of what happened, I believe, with Jalen Smith with uh, Dallas. And I got all over the Cowboys for not releasing him earlier on. Uh, as it turned out, that was another one of those where he had a procedure that was done. 
um, that he had to get done. You know, it's not like he wasn't injured. Uh, and that basically precluded Dallas from being able to release him earlier. So, you know, th- those are the kind of things that you, you kind of run into as you get later in the year. So I think that's why they waited until they realistically fell out of playoff competition. I know that there was a very narrow path to get there, but I think they just waited until they, they fell out of it, um, you know, to make sure that, uh, you know, that they, they were kind of protected as best they could be. Um, then you had the other aspect of it, because when this happened, like I said, I wasn't surprised by it. And basically said, I wonder what took him so long. And as it turned out, it really didn't take him that long. Um, So this was originally brought up to Wilson um, that he was going to get benched um, back in late October, I believe, early November. I'm going to pull up the letter in a second here. Um, Basically... What happened was right around the same time that we did the uh, the video podcast or whatever, looking over um, all the options that they had with Wilson, the ways you can play with the money and what the options were that they had. Um, right around that same time, probably a couple weeks later, and it was during their bye week, so that kind of makes sense. You know, you try to do some business on the bye week. Um, basically, what happened was exactly what I had mentioned. Um, you go to the player and you essentially say, look, you know, if we can't change the language in your contract to remove this vesting date or the injury protection or whatever is in there, we can't have you start anymore. Uh, we, we can't risk that money. Um, you know, we, we just can't, we can't make that kind of salary cap risk or whatever kind of financial risk you want to call it. Let's call it a salary cap risk. We can't do that, um, you know, for the, the good of our team. So, you know, you, you have to modify your contract to, and, you know, and take that out. And the way that, for me, I, I thought maybe one of the ways that you kind of sell that is you're kind of saying that, you know, your best chance of earning now, even though he's earning in 2024 this money no matter what because that 39 million dollar salary in 2024 is guaranteed um you know even though you're earning that your best opportunity to play football is going to be in denver next year you know if you if you waive that the fact that we would have to have you on the roster in 2025 we'll give you legitimate chance at you know playing in 2024 and you can do stuff where you front some salary, um, you know, do some things to move up some money, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do with that. Um, and you know, it was his right to say no, which he did. Now I don't, I don't know if they offered to move any money or anything like that, uh, but it sounds like that was basically what they went up to him, and they did. You know, basically said, you know, this is your best opportunity. Um, you know, waive it, or we're not going to play you. But you know, that brought in. Um, you know, a whole can of worms. So I think this is the first to have it. Um, let's open this up. So let's get a copy of the letter. And I clicked on the wrong thing. It's, there we go. Okay. So um, basically they, they went, so yeah, early November. November 4th is when this is dated. And basically they went to the Players Association to say, look, this is what went on. And the Players Association came back with this letter, um, 
come to our attention that the Denver Broncos recently informed Mr. Wilson and his certified contract advisor that if Mr. Wilson will not renegotiate his player contract or relinquish certain salary guarantees, the Broncos would remove him from the starting lineup. If the Broncos follow through on the club's threat, the club will violate, among other things, the collective bargaining agreement, Mr. Wilson's player contract, and New York law. We are particularly concerned that the Broncos still intend to commit those violations under the guise of coaching decisions. Uh, accordingly, we write to notify you that the NFLPA and Mr. Wilson reasonably blah, 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 blah. That, that, that part's um, not important. Basically, that they're, um, you know, basically just uh, telling them that they, they need to preserve all communications and, you know, that there's going to be arbitration, there's going to be court case and um, all these different things that come up. So this this is one of the, the things that's kind of, you know, that you get into these silly scenarios, he said, she said. And, you know, the first report on Wilson's being benched, I think, was Ian Rappaport. Uh, it may have been Schefter, but I know Rappaport was the first one to frame it as a football decision, which was funny because his first framing of it was, gives them financial flexibility, followed by that really didn't play a role. It was a football decision, which is, it's just so funny because it's almost like in, you know, directly answering this letter. Um, when these kind of letters come out, one of the bad things with it is it's it's a one-sided, you know, one-sided case, one, one side of an argument, right? And if you ever, you know, just read stuff, it, it just... just Turn on any of the news stations, right? And, you know, you, you've got two wildly different interpretations of the same thing, depending on what channel you put on. Um, you know, from a political standpoint, uh, you can bring someone on who's a constitutional scholar, it's probably employed by some school somewhere, um, you know, legal advisor, whatever. Who knows what the credentials are for anyone involved, but, you know, you, you got to imagine there's some credentials you know, you put on MSNBC, there's going to be one interpretation of it. You put on Fox, there's going to be a, you know, complete opposite interpretation of it. Both people who, you know, are quote unquote constitutional scholars. Um, from a legal standpoint, right, you're representing someone. You write a letter, you know, that says you've done this wrong, 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 this wrong. The other side says, didn't do this, 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 didn't do this. And, you know, it's like that the answer is always somewhere in between. Because the Broncos didn't really get ahead of this, it was almost taken, and especially because of the way the situation played out, that Wilson kept playing, almost taken as you, you, um, you know, you look at this and you say, oh boy, the Broncos really screwed up. Look. They got this letter. It's illegal. You don't know that. This is what arbitration is. This, this is where you go, um, you know, in front of that and determine. To think that this stuff doesn't happen in the NFL, I mean, that that's crazy, right? We, we can go back. Colin Kaepernick, it clearly happened to. He was benched with San Francisco. When he finally waived certain future guarantees in his contract, he was back in as a starter. You know, that was called a football decision before that. Derek Carr last year very clearly was benched. Not that he was good, but he was benched because the Raiders were afraid that more guaranteed salary would kick in and they didn't want that to happen to where they were going to be stuck with the player. So they benched him. Coincidentally, for the same guy <laughs> Russell Wilson got benched for, I believe. Um, you know, these kind of things happen. 
RG3 had an injury guarantee. They put him on the scout team. They were afraid he was going to get hurt in practice. They, they had him playing like scout team safety, like basically just doing walkthrough drills. He was allowed to do anything else, I don't think. Um, you know, every year you see players who are restricted free agents on non-guaranteed salaries and the team goes to them in August, you know, I know your salary is supposed to be $2.7 million this year, 2.9, whatever it is. We can't afford that. You know, if you're willing to take a salary of 1.5, we'll guarantee you the 1.5. But otherwise, we're going to cut you. So, Wilson's side took this as a threat. And that was the specific word that was used. And the reason that the word threat, I think, is used... And I, I'm sure the Broncos did not threaten him, um, you know, in, in the in the sense of like an actual threat. Uh, but he took this as like what they're doing is they're getting in front of me, and they are they're threatening my livelihood if I don't agree to this contract, uh, you know, contract modification. So by using the word threat, what he's saying is you're punishing me. Like this, me not playing is a punishment. And that is the part that wouldn't be allowed in the under the CBA. Um, the CBA has a clause in there. That, this dates back to Terrell Owens. If you're old enough to remember Terrell Owens and some of his antics when he was on the Philadelphia Eagles, it got to the point where they basically told him to not show up anymore. I don't remember if that was after criticism of Donovan McNabb whatever it was, they said, do not show up for work. Like, we'll pay you, do not show up. And, you know, it, it's almost like that really is not in the spirit of the NFL, right? It's almost like, you, one, you're blocking a player from playing. Two, um, you know, you're you're blocking a, a player, uh, the all the other teams from having an opportunity to employ that player. Um, so... You know, what happened with that one is that decision, and that's in the collective bargaining agreement now, um, too lazy to pull it up, but there's something in there that basically says the longest that you can deactivate a player um, in regards to conduct or whatever, you know, as a punishment, basically, is four games. So on Wilson's side on this, it was that he was going to be benched and deactivated. Uh, meaning he wasn't going to be allowed to even be on the team. And in a sense, it, almost like being told to be home, that potentially could be a violation of the CBA. Um, you know, with the way that they, you know, you went around that. I'm not saying it is, just that you could look at that as saying, okay, this is a violation of of that. I don't know any of these other things. Uh, I'm not going to know about the New York law. I don't really know where that where that necessarily applies in this part of it. Um, you know, typically in this case, I, I would imagine any lawsuit would be brought under state of Colorado. Uh, but maybe there's some stuff that supersedes on the NFL level. Um, that, and I really don't know how that would be also a violation of the player contract because the player contract doesn't guarantee you playing time, right? Like was Kenny Galladay guaranteed playing time? Now, you could say very clearly Kenny Galladay stunk, but, you know, you're also protecting yourself from some of those finances uh, possibilities there. But 
you know, it, it's like the, the only thing I could think of in that, and I would think this is kind of a stretch, but it's that, you know, you, you enter into an agreement in good faith and both sides do agree to that, right? You, you both are entering a good faith agreement. And if Denver never had any intention of honoring the 2025 injury guarantee, maybe you could say that that's a violation that, that they didn't enter into that contract in good faith, um, that they negotiated this with no intention of honoring that. So maybe, maybe that's, that's where that was. But you know, none, none of this is set in stone. This is all stuff that would go to arbitration. So anyway, I, I think in hindsight, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. There was probably a, a a way for them to go about this uh, from Denver's side that maybe was a little bit less, um, maybe a little less overbearing. And, I, and I'm not sure that it was, you know, um, but maybe something that could have been worded a little bit different, um, you know, to, to get rid of that possibility of someone saying this was a threat, um, you know, for that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, I think when you see them wait, you could see that it was just like, okay, look, we don't want to get down this road of arbitration and, you know, getting getting in with this. Like, it just becomes a distraction. So I think their thought was probably, we're going to ride this out until December. Again, my thought would be they were going to bench him for four games. This way it would, if someone wanted to argue punishment, which clearly you, you can't punish somebody for their contract, but... You know, if somebody wanted to argue it, it was that the most they were sitting was the four games. But then the other thing is that it's not like he was deactivated, right? He He's still on the roster. He's the backup quarterback. So, you know, that, that makes it a little easier to do. And very, very obviously, the framing that went out to the guys from the NFL network, um, which were that it was a football decision uh, that, you know, ironically, Wilson's best chance to, you know, play as a starter next year would have been to accept, um, you know, pushing that guarantee off. Like now it's going to be harder for him. Like th- those are all things that were, you know, leaked from the team side as damage control. And that those, that kind of stuff, even if some of that ring is true, it rings hollow when you're doing it at that point, especially after something like this comes out. Um, but, you know, I think that's why it was done for two games. It's very easy at that point. And I think you, you have the car example to fall back on to basically say, look, nobody brought anything up about car last year. And we fell out of playoff contention. We want to see what we have in our other quarterback. Um, you know, the offense wasn't really getting the job done. And we, we just want to see what we have for next year. And this is what teams do. And I, I think that that becomes very difficult uh, for the Players Association to really argue against. Um, you know, as for what this contract ends up being, I mean, Russell Wilson's basically going to make about $60 million a year from Denver for two years of service. I mean, it, it's wild when you look at it, um, you know, how much money he's going to make. Now, I don't know if we have the full value on here that he earned. Probably not. We probably don't have this year's money in there yet. Um, you know, that, that he's earned on the site to load it in. Uh, I'm in the wrong spot. Let me see if we have everything there. Now, I, have, I think we only have the new. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look to see what we've got there. But, you know, essentially, yeah, he, he's going to earn, you know, about $120 million, give or take a little bit, 124 or something like that for 
um, two years of service, you know, no playoffs, um, loss of multiple first round picks, second round picks. Um, you know, it's a, it's a disaster of a trade. When you look at the scope of the contract, I mean, this is worse than the Jamal Adams. You know, th- this is basically, they didn't do enough with the picks. They're, they're not going to get enough back from the picks to, to have it look this way. But this is probably the, the, moder- the closest modern example they would be to like the Herschel Walker trade. Um, where, you know, you, you give up so much and the return just really isn't there. Um, now, I, I don't blame them for trying. You know, you, you, you're trying to get somebody. They thought this is what it was going to be. They wanted Aaron Rodgers. Uh, when they didn't get Aaron Rodgers, it was probably, you know, the panic button gets hit. And it's like, well, who can we get? And I, I think the mistake that was made, and I, I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, I think ownership and flux and everything else. But, you know, you're conducting football business. You know, it is business as usual. It's not like you didn't sign anybody in free agency. It's not like you didn't do anything. Um, and you knew you were bringing on salary when you were bringing him in via trade. Um, you know, there, there's ways I'm sure you could have deferred if that was the worry. You know, deferred some stuff to where it would have been the responsibility of new ownership versus old ownership. Um the delay in doing a contract extension with him was really the mistake because this deal should have been done the minute they traded for him. And at that point in time, not not that it would have made it that much better, but you would have been looking at an extension that was probably in the in the ballpark of like $42 million a year, $40 million a year, not fifty or $49 million a year is what it ended up being. Um, probably wouldn't have been as bullish on a guarantee. Um you know, the, let me see. So Wilson is $49 million a year. At the time, the only guy that was more was Aaron Rodgers. Was it that, that, that 50.3 or whatever it was? 165 total, 124 full, um, $50 million to sign, $73 million first year. That's new money cash. But, you know, what drove that up was you let the Arizona Cardinals jump in front of you and do 46-1. For Kyler Murray, with 160 um, total and 103.3 full, and you know, in part, that's because the Deshaun Watson deal came in too, which broke the Patrick Mahomes number. Now the guarantee part didn't matter, but it it broke the Mahomes number. And you know, if you're looking along here uh, on YouTube, the market that existed before the Watson craziness from the Browns are these couple of things I'm highlighting here. It was Patrick Mahomes at 45, Josh Allen at 43, uh, Dak Prescott at 40 million. Um, yeah, Derek Carr wasn't there at the time. Kirk Cousins, you know, 35-ish. Um, you had Goff and Wentz were both around 33. That was the market. Once Deshaun Watson broke the the Mahomes thing, um, you know, even though you had Rodgers in there as well, uh, but you know, once Watson broke Mahomes, that just opened the door, and so then you got Kyler Murray, and now it's like, well, you gave up all this for this guy, like you should be pegged in some way, shape, or form to Aaron Rodgers, and that was what they did, and you know that that's really what killed them on this. I think was that delay. Um, 
you know, if this number was down, um, you know, to where, for example, Matt Stafford, Matt Stafford signed in 2022 off a Super Bowl win uh, for $40 million a year. $120 million total guarantee, 63 full. Um, now, I don't remember the time frame when he came in. Um, maybe April, you know, was when Stafford did his deal. Um, Wilson got done, I think, in August. So, you know, Stafford kind of came in and they still, even with Watson breaking through, they still kind of honored this old market with him where he gets the uh, the 120 injury protected, 63 million full. Um, now, he had the, the one year remaining, so the, the new guarantees on these are a little different. Um, let me pull up new guarantees. Let me just see how the new guarantees. I'll do apples to apples here. Um, quarterbacks. So uh, that's Kyler Murray. So Russell Wilson ended up with seventy-three million new guarantees. So that's seventy-three million over the money that was in his contract that they brought over from Seattle. So even though those years weren't guaranteed, let's be real. They're you know you didn't trade for a guy to not pay him at all. Um, and 114 new. Matt Stafford was 40 million full and 97 full, uh, injury. So apples to apples, new money to new money. You know, it was just, it, there's just a huge disparity between these two, and it's the it's that delay on that Kyler Murray thing. It was falling behind him. So that was a timing issue. That's on the Broncos. That's on the general manager. That's, um, it, it was just a mistake, um, you know, for for that. That one was just a, a complete whiff by them. So, you know, that that's where things stand with them right now. You know, th- there's still time for things to change. Um, you know, they, they could still go to Wilson in February or March and say, listen, you know, do you want to be here next year? We'll give you an opportunity to compete. We need to modify your contract. And again, you, you could do some things with it to make it more reasonable. Um, you know, just to, to find some ways to make it work out. So, you know, but otherwise he, he's going to be some kind of release uh, before that guarantee kicks in. You know, so that that's basically the um, the gist of that situation. But, you know, don't don't take that letter by the Players Association say it's a given that the Broncos uh, were completely 100% in the wrong here. This is something that happens all the time. Now, is it very ethical of teams when they do that? Probably not. Um, you know, but it's, you know, that that's the way that these contracts work in football, for better or for worse. That's, um, that's just kind of how they work out. So, you know, that that's, uh, that's the decision that... Um, you know, the Broncos kind of came to and it had to be done. I mean, there's no way that you could lock yourself into Wilson as your quarterback for 2025. So like when people ask me about, well, can we trade the contract? You can't because I don't think anyone would want to commit to Wilson for two years. Now, if Wilson was 30 years old, they might take a shot, even though the contract was structured that way. But I, I don't see, you know, a team really wanting to take that chance right now uh, with those two years like that. Now, the other thing that people have brought up 
on this, and I, I just wanted to point this out because it's not entirely correct. So the Denver Broncos will get an offset next year on any salary that Russell Wilson makes that's attributed to 2024. So everyone is saying that, you know, he's going to sign with whatever team, stick it to the Broncos, and he's going to sign for the minimum, which is uh, $1.2 million next year, $1.21 million. You know, because why would he play for $10 million when all that does is give the Broncos $10 million because of the salary offset? But what you can do, as long as you sign a multiple-year deal, and you can do a multiple-year deal with voids as long as the team is not worried about the compensatory process, um, what you can do is you can incentivize money in 2025 uh, that is based on 2024 play. And as long as it's not an incentive that's paid for 2024, it should not offset any money for the Broncos. So Wilson can sign a contract that is $1.2 million in 2024, but it has a roster bonus, for example, in 2025 that escalates by a million dollars for every game that uh, the team wins and Russell Wilson plays 50% of the snaps. You know, whatever number, you know, that might be. Um, you know, let's say that could end up being $10 million or whatever. You know, you you can structure it that way to where you would have a legitimate negotiation. This is not just going to be Russell Wilson chooses a team because the salary is the same anywhere he goes. No, this is going to be how can teams get creative to skirt the offsets um, in a way that makes sense. Now, you're deferring payment. You know, you're deferring the money to 2025. Um, but realistically, you, you get a lot of your salary deferred now anyway because they, they pay it out over 36 weeks, I think, instead of the 18. So... You know, there there are creative ways to do it because if you do that as like a roster bonus, for example, you could actually have that paid in April. So that it's almost like you'd be getting the money sort of sort of similar timing. Um, so it, it is not the Russell Wilson revenge tour. I'm going to go sign wherever I want to sign for 1.2. It's how do we get creative to make a contract that works for me to have an opportunity to prove I can still play football and you know, still be a starting quarterback in 2025, but also be compensated at a somewhat fair level in 2024. And I, I don't know what a fair level would be, um, but, you know, that that that's something that comes up. But I, I saw art, a lot of articles. Oh, he's just playing for 1.2 next year no matter what, so he'll sign with this team and stick it to Denver. Or, you know, he's going to sign with this team because they desperately need a quarterback and, you know, now they can fit him under their salary cap. There's a lot more things at play or that can be at play as long as you get creative. And I, I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, they'll be able to to get creative uh, wherever he goes next year. All right. So um, I think the next thing I really wanted to go over now was Justin Fields. Um the, Bear, the Bears are going to get the number one pick in the draft again. Um, this is from the pick that they got from um, Carolina. And, you know, Carolina's in a tough position right now. They're, they're in a bit of a rebuilding state. Um, you know, but the Bears made a, a pretty good trade 
um, you know, to, to be able to, to bring in what they did last year, uh, where basically they, in essence, were saying, okay, we're going to buy an extra year of Justin Fields. Excuse me. See how things go. We're going to bring in for him a top-flight wide receiver in DJ Moore, at least someone that we think is one. Uh, obviously, the Claypool <laughs> that they they thought was also going to be a top-flight receiver didn't work out. Um, you know, so they brought in more, and you bring in all these number one picks where you're like, okay, that gives us number one. It gives you a possibility to be picking again pretty high in the draft, right? You know, rookie quarterbacks a lot of times don't um, you know don't perform at a level that's high enough to to save you from being a really bad football team the first year. Some do. Right, you know the Texans are playing right now. Uh, I'm not watching the game, but you know they're playing right now for the playoffs. I know they were winning seven three in the second quarter. Um, you know, but a lot of times the the those teams don't do very well in the uh, the first year that that player is there if he's starting. So it gives you an opportunity for you would probably say, oh, you know, another top ten pick next year. You get a future number one and some other picks. That gives you that ammunition that you need without having to use all of your own picks. To move forward, right? So where Carolina's got to give up all of their own picks, and now you're looking at it, and it's like, man, this is kind of, you know, you you have a year where instead of being able to improve your team via the draft, you know, it's a lot harder because you, you, a lot of your picks are still going to Chicago. I think it's a number one this year, and I think a two next year. Um, but anyway, the the one this year, so. You know, from Chicago's perspective, you're looking at this like, well, you know, this gives us extra picks to be able to move forward, you know, to move up if we have to take quarterback. Um, As things turn out, they end up with the number one pick. You don't have to give anything. And essentially, they're in the exact same position that they were last year. And for whatever reason, this year, it actually has become much more of a discussion, which I kind of found interesting. Because this is something that I, I was harping on, you know, last year. Now, this is, to say harping on it last year, this is something I've been talking about for ages. Um, you know, something I was talking about when the Jets were almost playoff relevant. Um, you know, in, uh, well, before, well, really before that, they did have the 2015 where they were sort of relevant. Um, but, you know, I, I started OTC in 2013. Um, and... It was probably that first year where I, I, I know, I'm sure I, I put a post out there or something on it, where you know you mentioned where you started to look at the quarterback salaries and you're doing evaluation of the draft and you're looking at the draft in the current system versus the old system to where you look at it and you go, there's no reason anymore for a team to not draft multiple quarterbacks. That's the first thing. The second part of it, um, and I don't know if that would have been that early or if that was a year or two later, one of the first draft articles that I probably wrote, which was the NFL, the, the way the system has now become. Now, I've probably changed my opinion a little bit on this only because free agency's gotten worse. Um, but when you started to get the salaries that are so high at the quarterback position, Right, we've got uh, you know again. I'll pull up the quarterback salaries here. Burrow at fifty-five, Herbert at fifty-two, Jackson fifty-two, Hertz fifty-one, Wilson forty-nine, Murray forty-six, Watson forty-six. Um, so 
you know, you, you've got these salaries that are that big, and then you drop down to your rookies, and, you know, you've got, uh, let's see, C.J. Stroud is, what, 9? Trevor Lawrence is 9-2. Bryce Young is 9-5. Um, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, obviously they stink, but, you know, 8-7, 8-5. Anthony Richardson, 8-5. Uh, you know, and th- those salaries, and these are your top picks in the draft, they line up with your backups. Jacoby Brissett, Taylor Heineke, Mitch Trubisky, um, Tyrod Taylor, who are all in that 5 to $8 million a year range. Uh, so... The other take that I had during that period of time was, you know, unless you hit a superstar in the draft, meaning, you know, at the time I would have been talking about getting a guy in the the top of the draft that was um, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, like that quality of quarterback. Um, I may have mentioned Wilson in there as well, maybe. Um, you know, but unless you got that type of quarterback, your best system for building a football team was kind of just to, to, you know, keep churning those quarterbacks. Like, it didn't make sense to me to say that, okay, there's no middle market. I know there's a couple players now with Geno Smith and Garoppolo, but if there's no middle market, there's no reason for me to be paying Daniel Jones $40 million a year if I can just draft a rookie at like 8 or $9 million. Because the rookie's probably not going to be... Now, maybe the first year he's going to be worse, but years 2, 3, and 4, he's going to give me a major financial advantage over a player like Daniel Jones at $40 million a year. Right? You're talking about an extra $30 million a year um, that you can spend to better your team. Uh, You know, whether that's on wide receivers, offensive linemen, uh, probably a lot on defense. It's, you know, players that you can acquire in free agency. Now, free agency has changed. You know, in 2015 timeframe, you still got a lot of good players in the free agency. It's less now. So it's a little bit harder to build your team's... um, you know, get some of those players via free agency. But you can find good players in free agency. It's not like you can't. So my thought was, there's almost no point in extending your quarterback unless you've got a stud. So, you know, if I look at, like, the, the players on this list now, um, you know, I can understand, you know, those, those top couple of names, why you sign them on those big extensions. But, you know... Russell Wilson wouldn't be there. Kyler Murray wouldn't be there. Deshaun Watson probably shouldn't be there. Um, you know, based on how he played in Houston, yeah. And I'm taking the, the. I'm just trying to look at it from a football perspective here. He had been out of football for too long. Um, you know, in my mind to do that. You know, Mahomes fine, Allen fine, everything else. I think it's you know you you, you should be thinking about it. Let's put it that way. You know, Jared Goff is a good example. So Jared Goff at 33-5 for the Rams, you know, now this is going back when contracts were like $35 million was your high-paid player, 35-37. Um, you know, Jared Goff was a little bit of an albatross, I think, for the Rams. But when you look at where he is with the Lions, his numbers are way down because the Lions got him for four years here at... Uh, 
you know, about 25 million a year. Now, it's not evenly distributed. It's 10 million the first year I'm talking about on the cap, then 30, 30, 30. Um, you know, but they, they it could have been structured a little bit differently if they wanted to do that. But Jared Goff is a limited quarterback. There's limitations with him, and he's had a terrific year. I'm not taking anything away from him. Part of the reason the Lions are able to do what they've done, uh, in part, is because they do have a quarterback that, even though he, he has a $34 million contract, from their point of view, it's really only about a $25 million a year deal. And they really didn't have many much in the way of sunk costs on that. Um, he had guarantees the first two years, I think, of that deal. Um, I think the other years they would have been able to get out of it. So, you know, basically it, it was half of the half of the price of the, the top end of the market where it is right now. So, you know, you, you can look at it, I think, in that from that respect and say, okay, it that's a legitimate mid-tier market deal. But those are very few, and they, they had to trade themselves into it. The only real mid-tier market deal is Geno Smith's contract. Um, I mean, you could throw Garoppolo in there, but, you know, I, I don't think Garoppolo is really um, very sought after, you know, when he signed at 24. Um, you know, the Geno Smith thing at 25, I think, is a little bit more legitimate. Um, but, you know, you, you can throw Garoppolo in there if you want. Um, you know, right around $25 million a year. But that that's where Goff kind of winds up as well. And, you know, that that's a market that exists. But Daniel Jones ain't making $25 million a year. He's making forty. You know, Kyler Murray's not making $30 million a year. He's making forty six. Now, Murray's better than, um, you know, Daniel Jones. But, you know, that that's that's kind of the point. Um, you know, Derek Carr, 38. You know, that's not 25. So my thought on it back then was you just keep churning quarterbacks. You know, if you, you have a quarterback, you know, give him two years. Then draft, if you can, you know, you draft another one at some point in the next few years. So you've always got a player that's in there so you can burn your first quarterback, whether it's franchise tag trade, whether it's compensatory coming back to you, um, whatever it is, that unless the guy is a superstar, that potential that exists, um, you know, gives you something. So, you know, like Zach Wilson's awful. Okay, he's arguably the worst quarterback in the NFL. Um and, you know, the, the Jets aren't any good, right? We, we know the Jets stink. But, you know, if, if the Jets option was stinking with Daniel Jones at 40 or stinking with Zach Wilson at 9, you know, if, if the Jets weren't so stubborn with the way they handled Wilson really the last two years with the way they kind of did that backup position, um, you know, the Jets might have been a 500 football team. And... You know, if they had had a Daniel Jones type at $40 million a year, they probably wouldn't even be that. So, you know, you get a lot of opportunities when you're willing to make those difficult decisions at the quarterback position and start saying, you know what, if the future with you is 40, there is no future. You know, if the future with you is 50, there is no future. Because you are not good enough to carry a bunch of crappy players to the playoffs every year. 
You're just not. So, you know, you you have you should be going in there proactively and saying, you know, we need to do this. And teams do this all the time. That that's that is the kind of stuff that, that you know drives you nuts sometimes because um, you'll see players um, at various positions, and you know people ask like, uh, and I'll I'll throw a Jets example out again right there. You know, and people will ask about, you know, Bryce Huff. Well, is Huff coming back? I have no idea. And then, you know, people do ask the question, which is the right one, was Will McDonald the Bryce Huff replacement? It's like, he probably was. You know, you you draft somebody to replace somebody. And it happens all the time. You know, you, you draft players to replace veteran guys. Or guys towards the end of a rookie contract that you don't think you're going to keep. Um, nobody bats an eye when you've got one superstar pass rusher and you draft another guy. Nobody really bats an eye until maybe the next year when you're like, eh, you know, we're gonna we're not gonna extend that pass rusher. You know, or maybe he's very good. You know, you're probably gonna extend a superstar, but you know, someone who's really good. And you're like, yeah, you know, we're we're, we're good with this guy instead. Nobody bats an eye with that. But when it comes to the quarterback thing, it's like, well, all hell is broke loose if you want to talk about switching the quarterback. Um, Justin Fields, based on how he's played and how the team has done this year, and that's the fun part with Chicago. Chicago's got this momentum going, you know, the, the good vibes, as they would say. Um, you know, Justin Fields is going to ask for an extension that's probably going to be somewhere between forty and forty-five million dollars a year. Justin Fields, right now, um, is never healthy for a full season. Sixteen touchdowns, nine interceptions, sacked thirty-nine times in twelve games, uh, completes about sixty-one percent of his passes, um, about two hundred yards a game passing. Um, you know, obviously he can run, you know, um, you know, and he's dynamic in that sense. But, you know, you got him everything you needed. You know, you got him everything that he needed. And, yes, his numbers are up this year over last year, and the vibes are certainly better. Um, but even though you got him more help, and they do need more players there, but even though you got him more help, it's not like Justin Fields exploded as a quarterback. Um, you know, he's he's better as a passer this year than he was last year. Um, you know, I, I think they trust him to throw the ball more than they did last year. I think he's settled in somewhat with the offense. But he's not a you're not gonna win with him at forty or forty five million dollars a year. So, you know, that brings you back to the question about, you know, you draft somebody. But I did think that it was interesting that more and more people are, you know, buying into it this year. Because last year, everyone just was like, I would bring this up and say, yeah, the Bears should draft a quarterback. Oh, you're an idiot. I mean, that that was basically it. That that was the response. You're an idiot. Uh, basically, same thing that um, comes from every Cleveland fan that likes to talk about uh, Njoku. Because... I didn't think that was a good contract. Nobody came out of the woodworks last year, but uh, this year everyone's out of the woodworks on that one. Um, 
hey, you're wrong sometimes, but, uh, you know, you don't take victory laps when you're right, and I don't really see the purpose when, you know, getting beat up like that when you're wrong either. But uh, I don't even know if it's wrong. It's a season. But um, whatever. Uh, you know, back to fields here. You know, last year that was the thing. It was like, you're a moron. Justin Fields is good. He just needs players. And I don't think Justin Fields was worse this year. I think he was better. But, I mean, if your expectation was you needed a year for him to prove he could be a superstar, okay, yeah, he's not a superstar. But, you know, you you possibly could have wasted an opportunity to get a great quarterback in Stroud last year. Now, I don't know if that's who they would have selected. They might have selected Young, who was terrible this year. He still might be really good. Um... You know, and I, I, you know, I put something out there this week on Twitter and got a lot of good feedback on it. It's a, you know, and some of it was you're an idiot, but uh, you know, you got good feedback from you know smarter people. Like uh, you know, Kevin Cole mentioned that you know he thought part of it was that the the quarterbacks this year um, are better in the draft. Williams, I guess, is the uh, the main guy. But the the only thing that I would say on that is I don't hear, it, but maybe there's a reason people bring it up. But I don't hear in any of the arguments that I'm hearing online, like on the NFL programming or anything else, I don't hear the arguments like, this is a once-in-a-generation talent that you take. I haven't heard that at all. And it wasn't like last year that it was, these quarterbacks aren't good, you're an idiot. It's just you're an idiot. So... It wasn't like last year that it was a question of the prospects aren't good enough. Um, You know, if you're picking number one overall, I would imagine that any prospect that was going to be taken number one overall was going to be a higher rated prospect than Justin Fields was as a quarterback. Um, That would just be my guess. If Fields went 15 or so, where did he get picked? 11th. He got 11. Now, I know some people had him, you know, higher on a board, um, thought he would go a little bit higher. But, uh, you know, I, I would imagine that most of those players would have graded out, you know, higher. But the the concept of it, and may, maybe this is where you get into being overconfident in your own evaluations. Like, Trevor Lawrence is not a generational quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is a really good NFL quarterback, I think. But he's not this once-in-a-lifetime, you know, player comes along every 15 years kind of guy. Um, and that was that was what the thought was when he came out. Patrick Mahomes was not the first quarterback taken. Josh Allen was not the first quarterback taken. You know, the fact is, every the, the scouts in the NFL do a tremendous job of, and not not just in the NFL, the people who, you know, rank draft prospects, um, you know, for, you know, the work that they do. You know, not necessarily NFL scouting, but, you know, on the periphery and the media or whatever. The identification of first-round talent is typically pretty good. You know, there, there's guys, obviously, who fall through the cracks, especially quarterback. You know, you do see that from time to time. Um, but they do a very good job of identifying first-round talent. 
nobody has cracked the code, and this goes for every position, nobody has cracked the code to say that this guy is going to be a bust, this guy is going to be a star. What they've done is they're able to identify a lot of the traits that make you a good quarterback in the NFL, great quarterback in the NFL. Um, but they really haven't figured out, nobody has, you know, how do you crack the code to where you can look at this and say, okay, Zach Wilson has this trait, this trait, this one, those are all great, ain't going to work. Doesn't work with them. Um, You know, none of that is there. Um, So you do a good job in identifying guys that should get drafted. Don't do a good job in identifying, you know, in that subset of groups uh, of players, the guys who you probably want to steer away from. So with that in mind, you know, the concept of it is no different last year to this year because there's no certainty that any of these players this year are going to be any different than the ones last year. The difference would be if you had a year where there were, you know, wasn't a quarterback taken. You know, the, the difference would be, I, I can understand the argument if you had a year where the projections are like the first quarterback off the board is going to come somewhere between 10 and 15, somewhere between 10 and 20. Then I understand it. But when the projections are that there's a couple of quarterbacks being taken like top five, um, you know, that tells you that there's enough of a consensus that somewhere in here is a good quarterback. And I know quarterbacks can get overdrafted because of the importance of the position. But in general, that's what that tells you. You know, getting wrapped up in the individual player is, in my mind, kind of nonsense. You know, there's only been a handful of guys that I think have really lived up to that. You know, Peyton Manning, um, John Elway. I'm sure there's a couple other guys, um, you know, that that have gotten that kind of, you know, hype. Um, Like Carson Palmer got a lot of hype. Carson Palmer was a really, really, really good quarterback. Um, he was not like a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback. Eli Manning certain wa- certainly wasn't. Um, David Carr certainly wasn't. Jamarcus Russell certainly wasn't. Um, Matt Ryan was never talked about that way. I'm just trying to go through the players here. Matt Stafford was not a once-in-a-lifetime player. I wouldn't put Andrew Luck in that category. Some would, and they would just say that, you know, whatever reason it didn't pan out. His heart wasn't in it, got too too hurt, and just didn't want to uh, keep going. Possibility. Um, you know, but a, a lot of the guys who have been the best guys are those, those guys that slip a little bit. Um, you know, so... The point is just that from a, a philosophical standpoint, if you're willing to have the discussion, you should have been willing to have the discussion last year, and you should be willing to have it this year. 
I, I don't I don't see the, the 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 difference between the two. And if you're that wrapped up in one prospect, um, you know, I just bring you back to all those quarterbacks who busted that have been the top pick in a draft. So you know, I I, I think you got to keep that in mind. Um, you know, I don't think there is an issue with having the two quarterbacks next year. And I, I think that's the thing that, that drives me kind of the nuts the most. And, um, oh, and I don't remember who it was. It was on, um, from NFL Network. Someone finally said it. I was like, whoa, I got to repost this one. Um, you know, that it was like, I don't see the issue with having Justin Fields and a rookie. I don't either. You know, and... I understand that, that there might be some angst in the Chicago locker room. And, you know, I think the players in Chicago love Justin Fields. And I think unlike some other teams, Chicago does have a lot of guys who are going to be back next year. You know, they're going to be part of, you know, what they're hoping to rebuild. But number one, players like winning. You like to maximize your opportunities to win. Number two, the whole locker room stuff nowadays is pretty overblown because guys just don't stick around long enough. Um, you know, but there's no reason you, you if you can be Kansas City with Alex Smith, who I'm sure was liked by people, and would constantly get him to the playoffs and consistently be a um you know, adequate regular season uh quarterback. There was no split over the fact that Alex Smith was, you know, now being backed up by a rookie. And the rookie was going to sit for a year, and then odds are it was going to be his job after that. Alex Smith didn't have a problem. Now, Alex Smith had gotten paid already. Um, You know, Justin Fields has not. But, uh, you know, there's no reason to think, um, you know, that wouldn't be the case. Now... Would I pick up Justin Fields' option? I think the answer is no. Uh, I think some people some people ask me about that. The reason that I would say no is I sell the franchise tag at my disposal. While the franchise tag is a lot more money, um, you know, probably an extra thirteen million or so, uh, I'd rather not be locked in on like twenty million, you know, and be uh, Blake Bortles, you know, that kind of situation, um, you know, where you've got a lousy player and you're, you're locked in on it. Um, you know, I'd rather just say, well, I'll franchise tag him, you know, rather than being locked in on the option. I think that they'll, they'll opt into him. That that's my opinion as to what they will do. Uh, if they were to go with a two quarterback system, I think they would look at that and say, well, if we pick up his option, um, you know, that, that'll kind of make it look like we're still with him too. And, you know, it'll minimize any hurt feelings and, you know, give us an extra year of a little bit lower salary to work with. But I think I would not do it. I would just play the tag out after that, you know, if if he happens to develop. You know, and that that's the other thing. Even though you get into the aspect of, you know, how expensive the quarterbacks are, you can use those franchise tags and still field a decent team around that player. So really, you, you do have, even beyond that rookie contract, but the rookie contract is really where you want to do that churn and burn kind of scenario. But, um, you know, I think that doing the two quarterbacks next year, I think makes sense. You know, you give him an opportunity. You give the locker room the opportunity to say, this is the guy we want to play with. 
And, you know, you, you give the opportunity to see if Chicago can sink or swim. I don't think Fields gets you back enough in a trade to where you, you just say, no, we don't need him. You know, again, he's improved a little bit. And, you know, maybe can take that next step to where you would say, all right, he can be an elite level player. Um, so I, I wouldn't completely rule it out. So I wouldn't give up on him. Um, you know, I, I would just say, let's give it a shot. You know, let's give it a shot with him. You know, we believe we're a playoff team with Justin Fields. So we're going to give it a try. See how things go. And then we've got this other kid that's going to be here. He'll have all of training camp, he'll have all the regular season to win the players over, probably the way Mahomes did, by getting on the field in practice and saying, you know, this guy might be special. You know, we love Justin, but, you know, maybe this guy's pretty good too. And, um, you know, that that starts to, to kind of calm down some of those concerns. Teams have to start thinking outside the box with this stuff. You know, buying into this concept that it, it, that Trent Dilfer teams exist anymore is stupid. Um, number one, Trent Dilfer type contracts don't exist. You know, if you you know if you are a uh, a quarterback who wins a Super Bowl, you know you look at someone like Nick Foles. Um, you know, what did Nick Foles get? Uh, Twenty. What did Nick Foles get? Uh, let me look up Nick Foles' contract history. Let's see. Nick Foles signed with the Jaguars. So first he got a raise, I know, with the Eagles to like 20. 14 finals, like 20. So he signed for 22. $22 million a year. 45 guaranteed. Um, that was probably at a time when the market... Gosh, 2019. Um... I say thirty million a year. Let's see. Maybe I'm off on that. Uh, where's contract history trends? Contract history. Where am I at here? Let me just see where uh, where the market was in 2019. Thirty-five was your top market. That came a little later. 33.5. So two-thirds of the top of the market, um, you know, is what he signed for. And, I mean, Foles was a pure journeyman quarterback. Um, you know, but that that's where that went. Uh, I doubt I have, like, a Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson um, anywhere in here to just see where they were at for, let's see. I doubt I have that. Yeah. Sometimes I'll look up some old deals and put them in. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have those kind of deals here, but I can guarantee you it's a lot less than, uh, you know, like a Nick Foles made. Um, you know, and the game has just changed. You know, we, we we get into this thing like, oh, if you just had this and you've got this great defense. Like, how many times do I have to hear the Jets have a Super Bowl defense? There's like 15 teams that have a Super Bowl defense. You don't need a great defense to, you know, get to the Super Bowl. You know, you're not going to get through the regular season most years with a, a great defense and so-so quarterback play. You know, it's very hard to do. You can do it once in a while. 
And it's possible then that maybe that defense can carry you through a couple rounds of the playoffs. But, you know, it, it's very hard um, to do that style of football. It's very difficult. The, the teams that consistently get to the playoffs are those teams that have the great quarterbacks. It's not the teams that have a great defense. It's not the teams that have an okay team with an okay quarterback. You know, it's the teams that have a great quarterback. Now, question is, when you get the great quarterback, what can you fill, you know, around them? This is one of the reasons why, as you, you go through the Super Bowl histories, a lot of times you will find that your Super Bowl champions in modern NFL, the modern NFL time frame, are players on rookie contracts or players on the front end of an extension. Uh, because on the front end of the extension, which kind of runs concurrent with that rookie contract, right? We're overwriting that rookie contract, but putting those numbers in there. You've got these really artificially low salary cap numbers relative to the new money value on that contract. Those are the teams that typically are winning the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, the, the big exception in the last you know, 15, 20 years or so is Brady. Um, and Brady had a lot of below market attributes in some of his contracts there. So, you know, Chicago's got to take all those things into account. So should all these teams, not just Chicago, but Chicago would be stupid, I think, to just, you know, this is a gift they got. And they'd be insane to not accept the gift. Be insane. You know, you, you can trade down again, <clears throat> but, you know, you, you're not going to get as good of a return. And you're going to reach a point where if you need to wait to see that Justin Fields is not the guy. Like the Jets with Zach Wilson, right? The Jets have gone down this Zach Wilson rabbit hole. Like, yeah, if Rodgers gets hurt, we're good with Zach Wilson. Like they've they've gone through that rabbit hole for three years now. Um you know, because they just don't want to admit they made a mistake. You get to the point where your mistake is so big, um, you know, you don't have an opportunity to fix it because you might not get another shot at getting, in the, you know, a top five pick in the draft. Um, you know, you, you don't get that opportunity, and that's where you get into these situations where, you know, you're trading for the Russell Wilsons of the world. You're trading for an Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, you're trading for Matt Stafford. And, you know, obviously Stafford worked out tremendously well. But, you know, you, you, you get to the point where you're making trades. And it's like, if you need to look at anything, and I know they extended him. You can argue pros and cons or whatever of it. Um, look at what the Eagles did. When the Eagles drafted the quarterback at the top end, the top part of the second round, Jalen Hurts, right? They gave themselves that situation to just quickly move on from what ended up being a broken quarterback in Carson Wentz. You look at what the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers. You look at what the Packers did with Jordan Love. You know, it gives you an opportunity to quickly go from your, your superstar to somebody who maybe can be a star. And you don't really miss a beat. Now, Rodgers missed a little bit at the beginning, a different league at that point in time. But, uh, you know, the 
the the point is if you have the players ready to slide in you don't go through the disaster period of having to rip apart a team and desperately try to come up with a way to get a quarterback um and that's what's going to end up happening with Chicago if they want to play this out to just wait and say okay now Fields has proved that he can't be the quarterback let's go find somebody it's like you had an opportunity in 2022 you had or 2023 you had an opportunity in 2024 you can't just expect another opportunity in 25 or 26 or whenever that you know might be so you got to go in there and do that so i i think Chicago would be nuts to not do it but I, I am kind of glad to see more and more uh, people kind of joining in on this. Um, I was going to go over the young player snaps. This is something I did the other week, but uh, I'm going to hold off on that because this is going on for a while. I don't think I have that many questions, but uh, let's do a Q&A. Let me go get another drink and we'll do a Q&A in just a second. All right, I guess uh, Jacob has made his way down to play Fortnite here, so hopefully he'll be quiet. Uh, we've got headphones on on that one, so he got a PlayStation for Christmas, so he's doing that. So, all right, let's go to some questions here. Uh, sorry if I miss anything, because um, I may have gotten some, something the Christmas week that I could have missed. Hopefully I got most of this stuff. All right. Morning, Jason. Uh, this is from Josh. I'm from Australia. Enjoy your podcast, your deep insights into the breakdown of the contracts and what they uh, are actually worth. Draw your opinion towards the approaching the draft from a team perspective with uh, heavy analytics um, in there. Been a Patriots fan since I started watching in the early 2000s and I've been spoiled by their greatest, uh, you know, over that time. Saying that, looking forward to the rebuilding process. Uh, what were your thoughts from a team side and your contract analytics side of drafting quarterback at the top of the first round and then drafting a second quarterback in the second round? Um, I'd love to send you a variety beer package from one of our great smaller breweries in Australia, Black Ops. Uh, that'd be cool. I don't know how I could actually get that here, but uh, that'd be pretty awesome. But, um, you know, it'd certainly be better than the Ultras, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, um I think, despite all the stuff that I just went over, I don't think that I, w I would do that. Um, I don't think I would go 1-2. I don't think I would. I, I'd, I'd have to think about that a little bit. I, I think what Washington did that one year, it's like the only time to give Washington credit for something, is when they went first round and then I think it was fourth round for Cousins. I think that's probably the, um, you know, the... the better way to do that um I, I think would be to to do something like that than doing the one two but I, i'd have to think about that from a contract perspective it's not a big deal as long as you were not going to have a veteran on your roster that first year um you know because again the salaries are so low your second round player if you you're projecting him to be a backup quarterback you know that that's a good situation to have um but i think think I, I don't know uh, part of me would just say that I, I would probably go like one four if you're going to do two quarterbacks in one year um you know I, I think that's probably what you would do because I, I feel like a lot of teams would want a um a veteran to be behind the rookie so I, I don't 
I mean, I guess you could do that with a one, two, and then a third. I, I think that would end up being weird even for the veteran player. Um, and that might lead to, to a little bit of complaining. So, I don't know. You know, that, it's a, it's an interesting thought. Because um, I wouldn't mind taking first-rounders back-to-back. So... I don't know. I, I, I'd have to really give this one a little bit more thought. My first inkling would actually be no on this. Um, but I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be totally against it. I'd have to think on that one. Uh, let's see. This is from Richard. What would be the best approach for the Browns to handle the Watson contract and cap hits moving forward? Uh, what's the least painful approach? It's Haslam being an owner who's willing to pay cash bonuses by converting money into signing bonuses to help here. Uh, no, I, I don't think anything helps here. Um, Watson comes with tons and tons and tons of baggage, right? And, uh, you know, that contract is not good because the whole thing is guaranteed. Um, you know, let, let's pull up Watson's deal here just to throw it on the screen if you're watching along. Um, you know, Watson is owed $46 million a year, 24, 25, 26. So even if they ate 46 um, for next year, you know, if they, they ate all of that, you know, you're, you're still on the hook for $92 million. Um, you know, and all the baggage that comes along with them. So this, to me, this would be a situation where you are trading um, either problem for a problem, you know, um, you know, kind of contract wise, or you know, you you are um, basically going to give somebody draft picks. But I think the draft picks are probably, especially when you look at the um, what they gave up to bring in Watson, um, the draft picks are probably more valuable to Cleveland than the wasted cap space. Uh, I think the you know you got by with Flacco this year. You're not going to get another option at that next year. Um, you know, Flacco's not going to be a million bucks, um, you know, to play for you next year. I don't even know Flacco. You know, Flacco's done a couple of games here. Um, it's a fun story, but, I mean, it's a couple of games. You know, I don't know if you would find that again. I would think that the Browns' best option, and they're probably not going to do it, uh, I'd have to even look to see what picks they have. Um, their best option is to draft a, a quarterback. Um, if you draft a quarterback and your guy competing with Watson is playing for $3 million a year, say it's a late first, early second, or something like that, um, you know, those, those numbers offset at that point. It's like, yeah, you're, you're still in deep on the quarterback position. But your your numbers aren't going to be as bad overall because you've got a rookie who's bringing that money down. And if you look historically, you know the teams that have had some salary cap issues. Um, Seattle was sort of there a little bit, but you know Dallas would be the big one. You know Dallas got out of their salary cap issues because Dak Prescott was like on a contract that probably averaged like eight hundred thousand dollars a year which let them get out of some contracts that they probably shouldn't have done. Um, 
you know, when you, you look at those couple of guys who get drafted late, you know, for example, San Francisco, um, you know, say what you will about Purdy, they've gotten by a lot simply because of him. Like, um, you know, that, that let them deal with the fallout with the Garoppolo stuff. Not that that was that expensive. And, you know, th- there's still the hit that comes from Trey Lance is ongoing, right? It's not so much a financial thing. It's more all the draft picks you gave up, um, you know, to bring him in. But he offsets a lot of that because you got a functional player at that same position. Like, it would be a completely different thing if, let's say they, they drafted, let, let's say Nick Bosa was the last pick in the draft. You'd say, well, they got a $35 million edge player with the last pick that offsets Trey Lance. It doesn't offset Trey Lance and giving up all those first-round picks. This does a little bit. So I, I think in the Browns' case, if I'm the Browns, I think you are in a position where you're taking a quarterback a developmental prospect, second round, third round, fourth round, wherever you got picks, um, every year for the next couple of years until you find your starting quarterback. Because I think at this point, Watson is done. I, I don't think Watson is going to be your starting, like, high-level quarterback at all. Um, you know, he can be caretaker. He can he can be there. Um, but I think the days of uh, Deshaun Watson being a game-changing quarterback are probably gone. So I, if I'm them, I'm drafting a quarterback and I'm just going to ride out whatever this contract is. Um, maybe you can find somebody to trade for it in the final year if you eat a lot of the money. But um, I, I think that's how you got to handle it. Uh, Logan has a Kirk Cousin question. I don't know if this is for the podcast or not, but we'll answer it here. Um my question clarification is in regards to Kirk Cousins' expiring contract on the OTC website. It says it voids on March 15th. Just curious if this is before or after the beginning of the league year. I've seen it reported the league starts March 13th. The main questions are about the void years in the deal. Is it accurate that the Vikings are to sign him to another extension? They're able to move the dead money from the void years around more. Um, however, if they don't extend him the dead money, um, sorry, my contacts are going here. Uh, is then guaranteed to be paid out in the current void structure from 24 to 27. Um, so I guess the first thing would be, and, and they, they'd get a compensatory pick, so I, I don't anticipate them doing this. Um, you know, what you saw were a couple of teams, like the Ray, uh, it was the Saints with, now Lattimore is for a trade. Um, they, they restructured Lattimore's contract to basically open the possibility of trading him. So what they did is they, they converted his salary to an option bonus that's due in the summertime. So they have time to try to trade him while also bringing his cap number down. So they didn't want to restructure him. They wanted to have the ability to trade. Uh, they they modified Jameis Winston's contract so they could June want him. Um, Ravens did it with Odell Beckham. Um, a couple of teams did this uh, to, to be able to June want a player. They had until today to do it with Cousins. I doubt they would have done that. Um, But, you know, the way Kirk Cousins' contract works, his contract voids on the last day of the league year. So, um, like I said, I I usually put these dates in based on a whatever the league year is, the time I put them in. Uh, And off the top of my head, I don't know if the league year begins on the 13th, 15th, but basically... um, 
you know, free agency kicks off uh, that day, wh- whatever time it is, he becomes a free agent. His contract voids out on that same day. Um, so it's not after the new league year starts. So basically the way that it works is if his contract voids and they don't sign him to an extension, they'll take a cap hit of $28.5 million. If they sign him to an extension, the prorated money that you see on his salary cap page of $10.25 million for 2024 stays in 2024, but the money that you see in 25, 26, 27, which accelerates to be the 285, those stay in those league years. So they can extend them, and let's say they, they sign him to whatever the value is, but let's say they gave him a $40 million signing bonus, um, you know, and the minimum salary for next year, he would basically have a cap hit of around like $22 million. So they would actually bring his cap number down next year by extending him. Um, but yeah, it allows those prorated numbers to stick um, in those years versus hitting the acceleration that gets on the 28.5. And that that's probably something that I should mention. So for all the contracts that you see on OTC that have void years, we put those contracts, unless unless we know it's going to be a post-June 1 designation, we put those contracts in there as if it's going to void because that's the most accurate way to represent the team's salary cap space for the next year. Um, when numbers get leaked from the management council, uh, or I guess the players association, but probably more the management council, um, you know, that, that kind of gets, that gets thrown out there, they're going to count Kirk Cousins at a cap hit of like 10.25, um, which is in no way, shape, or form accurate. So you might hear a, a cap space number that comes out and someone's going to say official numbers by the NFL. And uh, let me just pull up where I have them for 2024 right now. Um, you know, I have the Vikings right now at cap room of 37.29 million. There could very easily be a post that would be something that says the Vikings' official cap space next year is um, $55 million. And people are going to say, wait a minute. How could this be 55 and you're saying 37? Well, the reason is I'm counting Kirk Cousins' contract as voiding. Um, you know, so that that's the... That's going to be one of the, the things that happens when you hear numbers that someone says are... Um, you know, coming direct from the management council, the players' association, that um, you know they're taking those contracts as if they do not void. Ninety percent of the time, those contracts void out. All right, I'll also try to write an email to that one. Um, let's see, Brandon. Um, rollover confusion. Uh, okay, so yeah, so I've seen this too, um, and I guess we probably should put this maybe on here somewhere on the page. Um, so the numbers for 2024 do include the rollover that we estimate right now. Um, that'll change. There's still a couple days left, a day or two left in the season. Um, you know, we'll update the rollover numbers at that point, and then I'll make some estimated Adjustments; those won't be official or remotely official. I'll get the official carryover numbers next week, I think. Um, but yeah, we probably should mention that on here. These cap space numbers do include the rollover that we project from twenty twenty three. 
So yeah, that's uh, that's a good point uh, that we should put that there. Okay, uh, let's see. Two lane competition. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that work. Okay, Mark. Uh, way back before the 2006 CBA extension, there were reports that said if the extension were not passed, uh, there was no way for the Redskins uh, to get under the under the cap. Do you remember that? Uh, I wonder if that wasn't really true, but more like the Saints' current status where they couldn't get under the cap by releasing players but would have had to um, extend players. Yeah, I, I don't remember that. But, you know, the, the Washington was so screwed up at that point in time. I mean, I guess stuff is probably... They, they still probably had Deion Sanders maybe on the books at that point. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't know if that was the case. There, So, you know, as CBA has come to a close, sometimes there's wacky rules that come into play. Um, probably less so now than there were in the past. I don't remember... At that point in time, I wouldn't have been paying that close attention to it. Um, I remember it, uh, but I wouldn't have been paying that kind of attention to it to say that there wasn't a way to do it. Now, it may have been that they would have had to have gotten creative in a way that was not normal for that point in time. Um, you know, with void structures and all that, where that, that stuff was not the norm at all. That all built off of like rookie contracts and some different things. Um, so my assumption, and here's another thing, and I, I give myself a little pat on the back for it. Uh, I, I I really believe that um, everyone as a whole that discusses and talks about the NFL is much, much, much more knowledgeable on contracts now uh, than they were in 2006 or 2005. Um, I think that the, there's a, a much better understanding of it. Um, I feel like we're a little part of that. That uh, is is a reason for that happening between the book, the website, the the discussions that we have with people just explaining stuff um, as to how things work and ways that you can manipulate numbers and what those numbers actually mean. Um, that there there's a lot more meaningful uh, discussion. And there's a lot better understanding of what contracts are now than what it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so I, I have a feeling that's probably, uh, if that was discussed back then, that's probably what it was, kind of what you're talking about there, where it was a situation like the Saints. And people just look at that and go, yeah, there's no way for them to, to do it. Um you know, but I, I think that's probably what it is. All right. Uh, here is next one. Let's take a look here. Yep, this is from Logan again. This might be the uh, same exact question. Okay, so this is the same question about Kirk Cousins. So, yes, it was indeed, well, ended up being a podcast question. So, all right, good. So, hopefully you listened this week, Logan, and uh, you got that answer in there as to um, how that works, and that applies to any void contract that you see there. Uh, if their the players extended, the voids will change, the numbers will change. Michael, overall question about the Saints: Shouldn't they be looking to June one a couple players to try at least partially dig out of the hole? Michael Thomas has to be at June one. No way they can possibly extend him again based on his uh, play lack of availability. Yeah, so 
I, I can't imagine Michael Thomas. Um, so right now they're maxed out. You're allowed two post-June 1 designations. So the Saints structured Michael Thomas's contract to be a post-June 1. Now they did this last year, and then at the last minute they changed their mind and they signed him to an extension, incentive-laden extension. I don't think that'll happen this time. Um, it's possible they could have done a small modification. He has a uh, roster bonus that he earned. Um, how much is that worth? Like one point nine million, you know. And they they could um, they could convert that, but I think they would have had to do that today. Um, two point two million is the roster bonus. Uh, is that right? I thought it was less than that. No, but it's two point two. Um, but his contract at the moment is set up to be a post-June 1 designation. So his is one of those where if he's on the roster on the second day of the league year, you have to be a post-June 1 designation, you have to be on the roster on the first day of the league year. So if he's on the roster on the second day of the league year, uh, he gets like $50 million in the future guaranteed, fully guaranteed. So they don't have a choice but to cut him. Jameis Winston's contract is the same now too. So those are their two post-June 1 designations. So um, for Michael Thomas, they will defer $9 million of future cap hits. Yeah, they'll defer $9 million um, with him. For Winston, they deferred $7 million. Um, you know, with him by doing that restructure because he was originally going to count for about 10.7. Now he's only going to count for 4.6, and then that'll eventually drop to 3.4, um, you know, after June 1st. So, you know, they defer that 7-3 dead to the next year. And then what they did with Lattimore, um, they took Lattimore's salary down to the minimum. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. Uh, they probably saved about $10 million. I think I put it in his notes. Let me see here. Uh, $11 million. They saved $11 million in 2024, and they still keep their ability to trade him while also having him at that lower cap figure. Um, so, yeah, that's, the, uh, that's what they've done so far. So they, they're certainly working on it. Um, you know, they're certainly working on it, um, you know, whatever they, they can do. Um, but you know, you, you're limited in the amount of post June one designations that you can, uh, you can do. All right, let's go to Twitter here. I'll be back on the video front. Yeah, I guess we'll grab another ultra. All right, let me drop down to the bottom here. All right, give me a second. We're going to grab one more drink and then uh, call it a night, I think. I honestly can't believe how many of these Ultras I had floating around. I think this is the last one. This is a Ultra Gold. I, I have no idea when I even bought this one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I guess my wife will be happy that uh, all these are out of the fridge now so and that'll be replaced by some new stuff that's better all right uh all right twitter uh the chief's window this is tampa forever uh the chief's window is mahomes and reed 
Reed is getting older, may retire soon. If the Chiefs decide to go all in over the next few years, what contracts could be restructured to uh, open tons of cap room to bring in impact players? Um, so I, I don't think the Chiefs are ever going to be that kind of spending team. Um, you know, that that's just my opinion here. Uh, you know, I mean, if you, you're looking at You know, you when you work in the NFL nowadays, you're pretty much working in two-year windows. So, I mean, most of these players that you're talking about aren't even going to be on the roster. Um, you know, just looking at it, I mean, you've got Mahomes that you can restructure. You know, just put the restructure thing here. Next year, you know, you'd open up $35 million, um, by restructuring Mahomes for next year. Kelsey, Kelsey is probably going to retire yet. I, I, you know, Kelsey, they're going to have to have a discussion about um, the uh, the Taylor Swift version of Jason of Jason Kelsey of Travis Kelsey is not very good. Um, you know, he's 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 looking like Gronkowski at the end at this point. Um, you know, you can open up eight with Tooney uh, Taylor. You can open up twelve, but I mean, if if you're really talking about the future, you're looking at twenty twenty five, and you know, in 2025, I mean, other than Mahomes, where, you know, you restructure him, you open up $39 million that year. I mean, you know, Kelsey's going to be gone. The guard will be extended. Taylor will probably be gone. You know, and that's it. It's just a bunch of rookies at that point. You know, the, the NFL is no longer... The NFL used to be something that you would look at and you would look at three-year windows... And a lot of that three-year windows was a lot of veteran players. It's not that anymore. It's it's basically two years at the most. Um, a lot of times it's really one year. You know, you you basically expect most of the time, I, I remember doing that study on it, I think you, you turn over 30 or 40% of your roster every year. Um, obviously, that's not going to be the veterans, but, you know, you, you're just not that deep in on these contracts anymore. You look at free agency it's rare to do a five-year contract. Most contracts in free agency are four or three years. So if you're doing four-year and three-year deals, you're not really looking at the future. So, I mean, your future in 2025, you know, this is your roster. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, who's not going to be there, Joe Tooney, Juwan Taylor, Trent McDuffie, um... I mean, Sky Moore is on the team. I'm just seeing who's even here. I mean, I barely even know half of these guys. Rasheed Rice will still be there. You know, you're looking at a roster of 23 players, and that includes a couple voids that'll be gone. 22, 21, you know, 20 guys. You know, of which most of them are under a $2 million cap hit. So, there is no long term in the in the NFL anymore. There, there just isn't. Um, so, you know, I mean, of the contracts that exist now, it, it's probably just restructuring Patrick Mahomes and, you know, probably extending Tooney. But, you know, everything else, I mean... It's just the nature of the NFL right now. You are just constantly changing your roster and moving it around and moving it over. And you're working in 
one and two year windows. You're not working in those long term windows anymore. So if Reed leaves, I mean, it, it the roster is basically an open slate. It, it's basically going to be players you sign this year in free agency. Um, you know, otherwise it's pretty much open. Um, you know, from a cap space perspective. You know, I mean, right now the Chiefs relative to everybody else would be middle, like the low part of the middle of the league. But I mean, what what difference does it make? I mean, uh, other than a couple of these teams that are a little invested in those older players, I mean, it is what it is. Um, you know, they, these it's just all however many rookies and do you have a quarterback on a big contract? I mean, that's basically it. Uh, shoes. If you were advising a potential second or third round pick in the draft, what factors would lead you saying or going? How much no money would they uh, need to stay? Um, I think you'd need a lot. You know, the the second round is going to get two years of salary guarantees. So I mean that that's pretty solid. Your third round pick is going to get a signing bonus of uh, you know. Probably, I'm not going to look it up, but probably like a million dollar signing bonus and realistically their first year salary is guaranteed. Very rarely does a third round pick get cut. So, I mean, you'd be looking at $1.8 million that you were going to earn this year. Um, you know, plus you get that clock ticking in the event that you can, um, you know, get a, uh, you know, get a um, uh, free agent contract sometime thereafter. So, I mean, I, I think um, if you're going to get picked in those, if you're going to get picked in the third round, I would think that you would need something like, you'd probably need $2 million to stay. I, I don't think it would make sense for you to not stay. The deeper you get into the draft, the more you can start really having that discussion. But I think when you're a, a top three round pick, um, that money's got to be pretty big to make it worthwhile. People's champ. Uh, do you think we will ever see a quarterback take a friendly deal tied to percentage of the cap um, where the salary increases, the cap increases, feels like too many holes that can't be filled, new mega deals that are now being signed? Um, no, I, I don't think so because you've got a couple of things. So number one, the teams wouldn't want to do that because they, they don't want to have that kind of fluctuation that could possibly come with the cap numbers um, with the players. So... You know, I, I think they'd be a little hesitant because of that. Um, now, obviously, you, you could restructure and change some stuff, um, you know, to bring those numbers down a little bit. But I, I don't think that you would see that. I think what the teams like is having some type of cost certainty. Like right now, Patrick Mahomes at $45 million when the rest of the market's at 50 I mean, that's really good for the Chiefs. Um, so I, I don't think that the teams would really be agreeable to doing that. I, I think that they would, um, you know, kind of like it this way. And, you know, I, I think e even if you saw some teams do that, I think players would still get unhappy with the deals, um, you know, and try to modify stuff. But uh, I don't think so. I, I think the benefit for a team on a, a quarterback contract is for the contracts that work out, if you can convince those players to take a longer-term deal, um, the way that Josh Allen did, the way that uh, Patrick Mahomes did, or if you get in really early, you know, that 
not that the Rams are probably happy with the Jared Goff, but, you know, like the Jared Goffs where you got in after three years, and so your your extensions are six, seven years in length, um, you know, that, 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 that can be something too. Um, but that's really what it is. It's getting in at a market price um, that two to three years from now looks like a bargain and you can be locked into that contract for another three years. Baba, Taysom Hill contract plus what happens with Dak. Um, so Prescott, I, I think right now you're just going to wait to see how the season completely plays out. Um, but, you know, obviously he's going to shoot for probably like $60 million a year. Uh, probably won't get it, but, you know, probably get an extension of like 55 a year or something like that. Um, Taysom Hill, uh, I don't know. Let's see. I don't even know what his contract is looking like these days. It's just such a silly contract. Um, so Taysom Hill next year has a cap charge of $15.8 million. million dead to cut him. They'll restructure him. Um, So they will save about 6-6. They'll save a little more than that because they'll they'll add an extra void year right now. They can prorate over four. Um, Does Nick have the extension option here? Yeah, so they'll save about $7 million um, is what they'll do. So they'll save $7 million by uh, adding that extra void year and dropping his salary down to the minimum. So, yeah, what a disaster of a contract. Um, All right, let's go back here. All right, Joe, Chiefs fan, what wide receivers have a chance to be cut for cap help this offseason? Cooper Allen, Mike Williams. Um, Cooper will not be. Uh, Keenan Allen could be. Mike Williams could be. Mike Williams coming off injury. Um, So I I would say, you know, you're not really going to be that interested. Keenan Allen's pretty old. Um, you know, I think the question with him is how many games are you going to get from him and will you get him in, uh, you know, the playoffs or will he be hurt? You know, I, I think those are the kind of questions that, um, you know, you, you have to ask, um, you know, cap casualties and we probably have the transactions table updated, um. Let me look at uh, wide receiver contracts. I'm just going to look at a couple guys that have big um, numbers in 24. Let's see if anything jumps up at me. I mean, Diggs? What's Diggs' is dead money? Oof, 31 dead. Man, they're, they're in tough shape with that. Cut him as a post-June one. You know, I'll tell you what. If there was a player to June 1, man, the Bills should uh, redo that guy's contract. And tell him he'll be free. But, you know, they're, they're, there's something there that just doesn't doesn't mesh. And it seems like he's back on the outs again. Um, I don't know. I would maybe they maybe they can get something to trade. Uh, Tyler Lockett's probably a possibility to be cut. Um, I think Terry McLaurin will be available in a trade. Uh, Christian Kirk is probably okay where he's at. 
Um, any of the Broncos guys might be available or cut. Um, <laughs> Valdez Gantling should get cut. That's for certain. But I don't think you're keeping him, right? You're going to cut him to re-sign him. Um, you know, Steelers, Johnson, eh, eh, probably not. Um, you know, I, I think those are the names as you, you, you look through there. I mean, Hunter Renfro, Michael Gallup, um, you know, but that, that's not the kind of players I, I think, you know, you're, you're talking about here. I think you're, you're looking at like, uh, you know, some of these bigger name guys. So I think those are the guys that, um, you know, you might want to talk about there. Uh, Steven, we talk about MVP. I want to focus on the V. What is the most valuable position? You can't say a rookie quarterback. Uh, I would argue it's not quarterback unless you have a top five guy because of the amount of money that they cost. Yeah, so, I mean, th- there's two ways to look at that. So, one, obviously, is the impact that you see on the field. And, yes, the, the most valuable, no matter no matter what, um, I, I think the what a quarterback brings you at 50 is probably more than, you know, Nick Bosa brings you at 35. Um, I think that's the case. I, I think even still, um, I think that's that's true. But I, I think you're right where you're getting into it where if you're not a legitimate top five player, um, but you still have a top, you know, 10, 15 contract, you know, like the Daniel Jones thing I'm talking about before. Yeah, there, there's no value in that. You're, you're a negative value at that point. Um, you know, so, I mean, if you want to take the, the those top quarterbacks, um, you know, if you want to take those top quarterbacks out, um, I don't know what it would be. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to really think of that. If you want to take the quarterbacks out of the equation, um, you know, and, and argue that, you know, unless you have one of those star quarterbacks, it's not really worthwhile. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's an interesting question then. Um, you know, as to, to where do you gain the most value? Um, because, you know, it, it, I think if you look at teams that get hot in the playoffs, uh, I think a team that probably has the, these dynamic pass rushers, um, you know, might stand out as being tremendous value, um, you know, in very meaningful games. Um but, you know, some of those guys are pretty expensive, too. Um, I think that's probably where I would lean. Would probably be there. I, I'd, I'd really have to give this one a, a little bit more thought um, as to where you would say is the, you know, where are you kind of getting that most bang for the buck? What brings you the value? Um but I, I think the thing is, the the quarterback, when you're talking about it, you are looking at guys who are top five players. And those, those top players justify those salaries pretty much whatever they are. Um, 
because of the value that they bring, you know, each and every week. But yeah, you, you could as a whole, I think the quarterback position is overvalued because there there's no hierarchy to it. It's just you make a bunch of money or you don't or you're Geno Smith. I mean that that's basically the uh, the quarterback system. 1912, is there a scenario where the Bills move on from Diggs this offseason? Based on cost, do you think the Packers keep Dylan or Jones? Do they start fresh with someone new? All right, so lots of questions here. So let's go one by one. Um, so, yeah, I think Diggs is a possibility. You know, I was obviously just talking about that. Um, but I, I'm looking at those numbers. Unless he did something today, it would probably have to be a trade. Um, you know, otherwise he's going to be there. So, uh, but I... I think it's a definite possibility. If they don't beat Miami and they don't make the playoffs, I think they have to... uh, Maybe the Jaguars could lose and they could still get in. But um, if they don't make the playoffs or if they just do a one-and-done in the playoffs and he doesn't really do well in that game, I think that's going to be a a situation that's going to be very hard for Buffalo next year and they'll probably have to look to trade him. Um, But looking at those numbers, it's going to be very hard for them to do anything but trade him. Unless they modified his contract to say, listen, you want out, let's do something that works for everybody, and, you know, let's just uh, move on here. Um, based on cost, do you think the Packers keep Dylan or Jones? Do they start fresh? They should start fresh. It would be idiotic to keep either of those two players. I don't care what they cost. Just move on and get somebody younger, newer, um, and, you know, probably better. Uh is Amari Cooper a candidate to get a new contract? I think they'll be fine keeping him on it, right? He's got one year left. One or two. Amari um, Cooper. He signed, I think, a five-year with Dallas. Played two there. It's been two here. Um, so, Okay. He's a possibility to get an, an extension, I would guess. Um, I would let him play it out. You know, he's going to be 30 years old. Um, I'd play it out and see what happens, but I can understand if he gets a uh, gets a new deal. So I, I, I it's a possibility. Um, how do the Saints get out of cap hell? Lots of restructuring. Put yourself in cap hell in 2025 to get through 2024. Steven, uh, what does restructuring a contract do for the player and team? Who does it benefit and why would they do it? Can you just keep restructuring forever? Uh, Alma Holmes. Yeah, you pretty much can. So the team typically puts clauses, excuse me, in the contracts that state, oh man, that uh, they have the right but not the obligation to, um, you know, convert any salary that's in the contract of bonus money. Um so basically what it does is it's a short-term benefit for the team uh, because you're opening up cap room in the current league year. Uh, it might be a negative in the future because you're you're putting an equal amount of additional cap hits in every year thereafter for the player. And when you're getting into those void years, um, you know, you're really upping those charges that might hit your salary cap um, when the player is set to become a free agent. Um for a player, it really doesn't make too much of a difference. Um, in many ways, it actually makes it better for the player because it makes him harder to cut in the future. Like we are talking about a Taysom Hill. You know, it's like he's on the roster, he's $15 million. He's off the roster, he's $16 million. 
you probably are going to keep him on the roster simply because you can't afford to lose cap room on a cut. Um, so that that's really where that benefit comes from, you know, on the on the player end. Um, but yeah, you can pretty much restructure as long as you want, you know. And there, there's teams that do that with certain players. Uh, the Chiefs have been a little bit more um, safe with Mahomes, but there's definitely teams that do that. Uh, a couple more questions from 1912. What kind of deal do you see Cousins getting? Um, I just wrote him up the other day. We'll, we'll do a, um, for the premium side, we'll do uh, free agent stuff. What? Okay, Jacob. Okay, Jacob taking a Fortnite break here, but wants to make sure I do not turn off Fortnite. Okay, um, anyway, we'll, we'll have a, you know free agent stuff for that. But I, I think for Cousins... I'm going to guess he's going to get another deal that's probably right around $35 million a year. Uh, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, probably be two years guaranteed. That's my assumption. Uh, what's the biggest name that you see being cut? Um, man, I went over the cuts the other day, and I don't know if I really remember. Um you know, as to the, the big names. And, you know, it's going to be a name like, I mean, it should be Keenan Allen or Khalil Mack. That's probably going to be the biggest names. Um, you know, but there'll be a couple guys that, that, that get uh, released. Jake, what's the limit you would pay Cousins on a two-year deal to try and compete? Can you roll his void years into a new deal? Uh, or is it better to trade from 12 to 4 get a Daniels and get that money next year? So, um I think they'd be. I think Minnesota would be better off moving on. Um, I don't know if they will or they won't. They in the short term, they may look at this that it's better to have Cousins on the team than off the team at a twenty-eight million dollar cap hit. That it's better to have him on the team and try to compete for the playoffs again. Um, you know, while Minnesota's record fluctuates, I mean, it's a team that's just feels like they're eternally going to be stuck right around being like. A 500-type team, I don't know why you would keep buying into that with Cousins. Um, I, I think you would be better off letting Cousins go to somewhere else and, you know, really starting your rebuilding process over. Um, you know, but that that's just me. That's just uh, my thought on it. I could easily see a scenario where they're like, you know, we got to bring Cousins back. And when you see Cousins with that last game, you know, he's out, you know, doing all the stuff before the game, the shirt off, and his kid, I guess, is with him. It's like, they're going to keep him, aren't they? <laughs> it's like, that's that's all that's popping into my head. It's that they're, they're going to keep him. Uh, Michael, so much talk about incentives this week. Incentives earned or otherwise paid out impact next year's cap. Or do teams have to give themselves enough cushion on the current year to pay out whatever's earned? Um, they, they get adjusted towards next year's cap. So... If they're earned but they didn't count on this year's cap, you get a negative adjustment next year. Um, and vice versa, if something counted on this year's cap but was not earned, you get a credit for it the following year. Um, and if it counted on the cap this year and it was earned, you already have it covered. So there's no adjustment that's needed. Um, you know, so that's basically how it works. The only difference is if you actually pay the incentive like actually pay the cash, um, you will have to account for it on the cap this year. Uh, the other thing is if you did restructure a contract and the um, incentive had already been earned, they'll charge it on the cap, um, but that rarely happens. So that that's a very rare um, scenario. 
if the Bears decide to move on from Fields, what do you think the market is? Start of the Darnold package. Um, interested to hear your thoughts on how they should approach 1-1 and 1-10. Thanks and cheers. Yeah, cheers. Um, you know, so I, I talked about that before, but I didn't talk about his market. I think his market would be a second-round pick. Maybe it would be a third, and it would be an easily attainable, um, you know, conditional that would get you to a second pick, like, you know, 60% playing time or something like that. Um, and, you know, probably something that playoffs or something like that, maybe that could get you to a first-round pick. So I think it would be a 3-2-1 scenario. Um you know, so I, I don't think, you know, and you, you could get something where it's a, you get this year, you give back in the future. So in other words, you would get a third this year. Um, you know, if it's something that jumped up to a first, you would give them your third and you would get a first. It's something like that maybe could work out. Um, I don't think it would be the Darnold package. You know, the, I think the Darnold package was in part based on, number one, a desperate team. All right, in Carolina. Uh, number two, it was based on the fact that they thought they were trading with an inept team. I mean, they were trading with an inept team. But it was, the I think, the thought that um, they didn't have coaching to help Darnold. They didn't have players to help Darnold. And if you put him in a different system, um, you could help Darnold. And what they learned is... Maybe that, not maybe beyond help, but you know that there's he, he not a not a top level quarterback, um, but you know Darnold was considered a very high end prospect when he was drafted, and I think because at times he was functional with the Jets, and the Jets were dysfunctional his entire time that he was there, mm-hmm. um, I think that they were able to find a team to trade for him. They just looked at that upside and blamed all the negativity on the Jets. A lot of teams passed on Justin Fields in the draft. Um, a lot of teams did not get the opportunity to pass on Sam Darnold. Uh, that's a big difference. Um, I don't think people look at the Bears as inept. I think they look at the Bears and they see the way that they went out and try to get receivers for their quarterback. Um, you know, that they, they've tried to, to make a couple of moves to get the defense better, um, made changes at coaches to change, you know, certain things. So I don't think people are going to look at Fields and say Fields was broken from the Bears. Uh, I think they're going to look at that and simply say, you know, Fields was okay, but maybe the Bears overdrafted him, you know, in the first round. Um, so I think that's probably where it would be at with them. You know, you, you look at it probably as like a two. Um, but I think that's the case. Another question from Steven here. Uh, couldn't a player take less money as long as they got fully guaranteed money? For example, player wants 14-5 total. Team only wants to pay 11-5 so they could settle at 10 fully guaranteed. And was happy and saves team some money. Or am I missing something? Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, th- those numbers that you're mentioning, they're probably wouldn't work. Um, you know, what you would be looking at is player wants 14-5, team wants to pay 10. Um, player accepts a deal with 10 fully guaranteed. I mean, it would probably work out more like that. Um, 
teams will always guarantee money if it means getting a contract for less value. And less value might not mean annual value. It might just mean cash terms, um, you know, or annual, you know, three-year annual value, something like that. Teams will always trade guarantees for that because when they get into a contract with someone, they're basically projecting how many years they expect that contract to run. So, you know, whatever maximizes the value over the term they think the player is going to be there for um, is what a team is going to be willing to do. One of the things that uh, we had discussed years ago on the podcast um, was would it would something ever exist where you would get a, a player who was willing to do a way below market deal in terms of annual value if we took a five-year deal? You know, get paid the same over, say, a three-year term. But... Um, you know, let, let's say that you had a player, um, you know, talking, I don't know, maybe $20 million a year. Sorry, I had to uh, help with something on Fortnite there. Um, so I, I think what I was talking about here was, um, you know, the fully guaranteed money, the, the concept of the contract. So the interesting thing would be... Um, Try and come up with an example here. Let, let's say a player is going to earn like $20 million a year. Uh, wants to earn $20 million a year. Contract that would be five years, um, you know, $100 million, $40 million full, $60 million injury. Um, you know, you know, looking at that kind of contract, that would be the Amari Cooper contract. Um, there's like outside chance that you're in the 60 on the guarantee. Now, obviously, he got traded. He, en- he ends up earning it, might earn the whole contract. But... Uh, you know, th- this is, I think, a decent example of some of the pros and cons and some of the um, thoughts that would go into it. What would you do? You know, team doesn't want to, let's say a team doesn't want to do that deal. Um, would you be willing as a player, um, you know, you're looking at that contract expecting to earn 60. Um, would you be willing to take a five-year deal worth, say, $75 million. Obviously, that's a much lower annual value, but where the team guarantees you that entire salary. They, they guarantee you the 75. So, you know, I, I think something like that might be a interesting scenario where, you know, you start coming up with those. So using Cooper as an example, um, you know, if you were the Cowboys or the Browns, you would really be getting a bargain by having a player like that at 75 five, um, 75 for five years, right? Um, you know, uh, you, you would you would make out, um, you know, pretty well doing that, you know, versus the 100 over five. Um, so, you know, would a player be willing to do that and be happy with the contract and not, you know, want to renegotiate or, re- you know, open it up again? Um, you know, the, the negative for a team is if the player, you know, is one of these guys that wouldn't have even made the 60 million, it's like, oh, now we're stuck with him to the 75 level. You know, that would be the, okay, Jake, put your headphones back on. So that would be the example of like the Deshaun Watson, like that disaster that exists right there that, you know, the contract will never, um, you know, be reasonable given the way that he he's played. 
but um, you know, I, I think that would be an interesting scenario. Nobody's approached this yet. No, nobody has brought this out, and it, it would take you know two sides to do something different because from the from the team end, um, you know, you, you'd be fully guaranteeing a contract, and there's teams that clearly do not want to do that unless it's like a one or two year deal. Um, would players want to do it to where you know instead of getting um, you know that that benefit of um, you know getting to run out there and saying yeah he's making twenty million a year you've got to say well he's making fifteen you know it, it's like that 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 I think would be a um, a really interesting discussion but nobody's gotten there yet and I don't know if teams want to get there um, I think teams are kind of happy with. Um, if they have to renegotiating a deal to give a guy a raise versus getting locked into some of these contracts with the exception of quarterbacks, quarterbacks to get locked into, uh, turn off the jets block Can the jets cut Lazard. Now or are they stuck with him for a few years? Uh, they're pretty much stuck with him for next year. They, they certainly can't cut him right now. Um, they, they have to wait at least until the new league year begins because the salary is guaranteed next year. Um, but yeah, they're, they're pretty much stuck. That's a, you know, GM Rogers and his Randall Cobb, Dalvin Cook, Alan Lazard, um, you know, crew that he needed to bring in. I mean, it, it's all a, a disaster. And man, you know, the Dalvin Cook thing, you know, speaking of nonsense, um, now Dalvin Cook did waive his, um, per game bonus for the week. Uh, so he could get cut. I guess he waived the guarantee on it. Um, it counts on the cap. Jets will get a credit for it next year. Um, you know, it, it is kind of funny um, to see all the people like, oh my God, Dalvin Cook is on the market. He's on the market. No team wanted to pick him up when it would have cost them about, uh, um, you know, somewhere, somewhere in the ballpark of $340,000. No team wanted to do it. He signed to a practice squad. A practice squad. How are we doing full segments on what does Dalvin Cook bring to the Ravens in the playoffs? Look, Dalvin Cook might be fine on the Ravens. He might get them a couple scores. He might do some stuff. It's nothing any other back in the league wouldn't have been able to do. You know, it's like uh, it, the 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 amount of publicity sometimes that goes for a name player is is wild when some of these guys get released. You know, all right. Anyway, let's see a couple more questions and then uh, we should be done here. All right, last call. Looks like five. That's a junk one, so we're gonna call it four. Jalen, Mason Rudolph's next contract outline if this was his final snap of the season. Um, probably pretty similar to what he has now. Um, where is he at? Rudolph's probably in the $2 million range. Am I just missing him here? Let's pick it. Oh, I'm missing him. There's Mason Rudolph. 
Oh, he's he was at one zero. I thought he was at two. Um, yeah, he'll probably get signed to a just a low level deal. You know, two five something like that. Um, yeah, you throw some incentives in there with an opportunity to compete for something. You know, two five maybe three. Um, but you know, I don't think anybody's going to look at Mason Rudolph the last couple of weeks and you know. I don't care what the record was, say that there, there was anything meaningful there, you know, winning a game in the in the rain against all the Ravens backups and um, all that stuff. Dreadful. What will Dak's next contract extension look like? I mean, he, he really does have the Cowboys by a lot. Um, I my, my guess is the aim is 60. Um, you know, I think before I said 55, but I forgot Burrow already got to 55. Probably 58 is what it's going to come in at, and it'll be a very player-friendly deal. Um, they're just not going to have a choice. Flip. Scenario for Cousins. Vikings keep him. How would a contract look? Trade. Could they do it with the accelerated prorated bonus hit? June 1. Um, so, if the Vikings keep him, I think the Vikings would look to just do another year um, at what they just did, which is... 135, and they'd guarantee it coming off injury. Um, for them to trade him, that's not going to happen. Um, they they would need to sign him to a contract with him agreeing to a trade. I don't think he would do that. June 1 designation, uh, I don't believe his contract was designed for that, so they would have had to modify his contract today. Anything is possible. Um, you know, they, they would have had to do that, um, you know, just, um, you know, they would have, uh, you know, had to do that today if they want to do that. Um, I don't think the Steelers can make cap room for him, but do you think, what do you think he takes for a contract? Prove it, three-year backloaded. I think he's just going to take a two-year deal. Um, I think that's what it'll be, and he'll continue his, uh, you know, string of guaranteed um, salaries here. All right, last question. It's coming from Brian. Can the Browns keep Amari Cooper without extending him, or is an extension necessary? I'm pretty sure they can keep him without extending him. Um, yeah, I didn't look that close. Let me pull up the Browns here. Um, I know they're over the cap, but, yeah, it's 13 over. I mean, you can um, restructure Cooper's contract uh, with, without doing anything. You'd gain $12 million in cap room, so you'd be cap compliant. You can restructure Watson, gain 34. I know it sounds terrible, but, I mean, he's not going anywhere. Um, you know, you can restructure. You, know, you can't gain much with Garrett. Uh, they already finished that. Denzel Ward. Um, Tonio you can gain a little bit with. Teller a couple of bucks. Wills a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they, they'll be fine. I, I think even without um, doing an extension for him. Because, like I said, they, they can restructure him and they can restructure Watson. Watson, it's just, it's a done deal. You just look at it as sunk cost and, you know, you're just working through however bad those numbers are going to be. Um, you know, but it's it's going to be up to them. But you, they, they can function without having to, uh, to do that. All right, so I think that does it for me. So uh, everybody enjoy the last week of the regular season. Uh, I think this has been a lousy regular season. Um, I'm not just speaking as a Jets fan. I just think in general for football, I think this has been a uh, lousy regular year. There, there's a lot of quarterback injuries, a lot of teams 
Um, you know, a lot of teams that you look at that are even like the better teams that are going to make the playoffs, maybe make some noise, maybe you have a nice playoff run. Um, you know, probably disappointed by the year. Like Chiefs are probably disappointed by the season. Bills make it, don't make it. Probably disappointed by the regular season. Um, you know, a lot of these teams that are making the playoffs, like the Eagles, um, you know, you, you probably almost have that feeling like, yeah, we made the playoffs, but man, this wasn't that good. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's been a down regular season for the league. Um, you know, so, but hopefully it'll be an exciting playoffs. So we'll see. So, um, all right, everybody have a great week and I will talk to you all again soon.